I'm so glad that you're here. You, glad, you guys are glad you're here? Yes. Awesome. I'm glad you're here too. Great. All right. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been on a new series entitled All Things New. How many of you are looking for some new things in life? New experiences, right? You're excited about change and all that. That's all, that's all good. But I want, you, I want to just uh, make a point here that God is the author of all things that are new. Everything that's new, the Bible says that, that every good and perfect gift comes from up above. And what greater gift than Jesus in your life and what he's done through Christ and what he's done in you. See, but the issue is that sometimes we're not completely familiarized. We're not acquainted and we, have, uh, we lack understanding as to what it means that we are a new creation in Christ. So over the last couple of weeks, we've learned a couple of things. And I just want to recap real quick. But I want to take you back to a foundational scripture uh, that we've been looking at, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 17. And starting at verse 14, it starts off by saying, For Christ's love compels us. Now, I just want to point your attention. I've said this before, but I want to just dig into this a little bit more. That notice that the love of God, which is expressed through Christ and the gift that he is, us as believers, as children of God, and not just for you who go to church regularly and love the Lord, but it's for everyone. But notice that the love of Christ, the Bible says it does something. That word compel means to move us, to shift us. But most importantly, what it's referring to is, it's, it, I love the way the King James puts it, says it constrains us. And what it's referring to is that there's a wide path that becomes narrow and you're pushed into that direction. You're being steered into that direction, but it's for a great purpose. And so I want you to see that Christ's love compels us. It says, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Say that with me, all died. died. I want you to remember that point. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Tell somebody it's not about you. Tell somebody else, it's not about me. Well, I'm so glad you all agree because you're going to make my sermon a whole lot easier to preach today. Right? He says, uh, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, that's important. In other words, in light of what we now understand. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So I want you to begin to see what it's talking about. It's talking about how we see, how we approach life. And notice that it says we don't do it from a worldly perspective. We don't do it from what we feel. We don't do it from what we hear. We don't do it from what we've been told. We don't do it from the report of anyone. In any regard, when it comes to the truth about what God has done in you, the new creation that you are, it has nothing to do with external circumstances. Nothing at all. It has everything to do with what he's done. And so he goes on to say, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Some of us, we're looking for new things from God, not not realizing that he's done his job in you. The question is, are you understanding what the truth of God's word reveals about the new you? And so the Bible emphatically clearly states that the new creation has come. It says the old has gone, the new is here. 
And so over the last two weeks, we focused our attention on two foundational truths, and we're going to build upon them this week. But the first one that we looked at was that God invites us to step out of the old so that we can step into a new life. See, anything that you are to experience that is a promise from God's word, anything that you are to draw out of what God has done in your spirit as a new creation comes out of an understanding of something new, not something old. That makes sense? And so Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17 puts it this way. And this is Jesus speaking. And I want to emphasize that this is Jesus speaking. And that's important because this is not Pastor Jose's opinion. Watch what it says. It says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour out the new life. I'm sorry, the new wine, which is your new life, into new wineskins and both are preserved. I like the way uh, uh, one of the, uh, there was a woman that was attending our Thursday morning connect group here at the church that we, we facilitate. And when we were talking about this, she had this moment where she said, you know, it makes no sense mixing old things with the new. She says, it creates a mess. And, I, and, you know, and, and when she said that, it dawned on me. You know, I was just really appreciating her understanding, but also the truth that God doesn't call, us, doesn't call us to do old and new. God calls us to one life, a new life, a new experience. And so we also learned over the, uh, last week that our position has changed. And because of it, our conditions can change too. The word of God says that you are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The word of God says that you are in this world, but you are not of this world. And so while you may be, you might be located here currently in life, your position is right next to God. You're a child of God. You're as righteous as you'll ever be. You're as holy as you'll ever be. You're as good in God's eyes as you'll ever be. Because what Jesus did was sufficient to pay the entire price. And so our position has changed. And that's important because sometimes we position ourselves in life according to what we experience. According to our educational experience. According to what we've been told. According to the things that we've learned. And the process of Christianity isn't so much about becoming a better person. It's about discovering the best person that you already are in Christ. And so it's important for us to begin to grasp that we have a new position in Christ. As we get started today, I'd like to draw our attention back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to read specifically verses 14 and 15. Because it's going to provide us a beginning point. We're going to springboard from here to unraveling the truth contained in God's word about living this new life that's ours in Christ. See, that's a question that all of us have to reconcile. We all have to come to a point where we understand, how do I live this new life? How do I live this? Anybody have that question? Good, I'm glad you had it. We're going to answer that today. But I want you to look at verses 14 and 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again. It says, For Christ loves, Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them 
and was raised again. I want you to notice something about what the Bible is telling us here. Notice that it's telling us that the death of Christ, in the death of Christ, not only did he die, it says that we died. We died. Why is that important? Because many times we try to resurrect old, the old nature. We try to resurrect an old understanding. Oh, but my pastor told me, the experts say, you know what? The experts can be sincerely wrong. And I was one of those pastors at one time that did not clearly understand the gospel of grace. And did not understand the whole truth. Listen, we're all in process. But the sooner we begin to grasp what it means that Christ died. And we, we, can, we can make that connection that we understand that not only did he die, but we died. We can then begin to appreciate the value of a new life in Christ. And so as I was saying, notice that it doesn't say that not only did he die. It says that we died. And the life that we now are to experience is not one for ourselves, but for him. Now, I want you to consider what the word is saying here, because literally what it's telling us is that new life in Christ isn't about living our life. It's about living his life. I want you to think about this. The life that you have is not yours. That's what scripture says. Paul says it this way. He says, the life that I now live He says, it's no longer I that live. Paul completely removes himself out the way. And he uses graphic imagery with the words that he he uses. He He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I have never heard of a person that was crucified that came off of that cross alive. And so literally what Paul is saying is, I died. And he says, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who gave himself for me, who loves me. So I want you to consider what scripture reveals that we are but containers that carry the life of Christ and that are meant to express the life of Christ. Alrighty then. Moving right along. <laughs> I know you're thinking about this. Let me give you a visual. Let me give you a visual to consider this. Can you hold this for me, please? Thanks. I want you to consider this. The Bible says that you were once dead. The Bible says that there was a time when we were led by deceit. And that we were led and that we lived according to our desires. That's a life devoid of God's best. And so I want you to look at who you and I were at one point. And if you don't know Jesus today, I want you to just consider the truth. Listen, no condemnation, no, no, nobody's pointing fingers. But if the shoe fits and you see that this applies to you, then change it. And so this was our life, devoid of truth, devoid of Christ. In essence, it was empty. But then Christ, we get a revelation from God's word and we begin to realize the truth. We begin to see that we need God. And so what begins to happen, what what happens at salvation is this, that where you were once empty, now your life becomes full of Christ. I'm going to show you that from scripture in a second, by the way. I want you to see it. This is in my opinion. You become full of Christ. But what I want you to begin to see is that your existence and your purpose, just like this container, without fluid, it can never fulfill its purpose. It can't. While it's meant to contain fluid, 
It can't fulfill what it was created for without the fluid in it. And so now that it's full, what, what begins to happen? It can pour out and it can get filled to a greater extent. It can expand. It could grow. And so what I want you to begin to envision is this. That you have received new life. And that new life changes not only what you contain, but how you function. You can fulfill all God's best. You can walk in the newness of life that's yours in Christ. As you understand what has been done in you. See, for some of us, maybe, just maybe, we've accepted Jesus and you're right here. We're all in the same place. But for some of us, we understand it and some of us, we don't. And the difference is that the ones that do understand it can pour out. Something can happen through your life. Listen, I'll be the first one to tell you, and please don't take any offense to this, but Church at the Bridge, we we are a body of believers, but we do not promote uh, just moseying, moseying on alone to the sweet by and by just hoping and praying for God to do something. No, we're going to teach you the word and we're going to encourage you to fulfill all that God has called you to. Because the Bible says, the Bible instructs us that we're to teach you the word of God so that you are thoroughly equipped unto every good work is what scripture says. So that you can mature, that you can express the fullness of Jesus in and through your life. And so, see, just like that picture, the same is true about you and I. Our new life is most evident and experienced when the life that we live is the life of Christ. When we understand that he deposited his life in us and we express it through our daily going ons. That makes sense? And so I got a big idea for you today. Something that I want you to wrap your head and heart around. Christ isn't a part of your life, ladies and gentlemen. He is your life. He's not a part of your life. He's not a compartment of your life. And if that's how you approach this relationship with God, listen, you are so blessed, but you are so sorely missing the abundant life that's yours in Christ. No judgment in that. I just want you to consider that. And so I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. And I want to dig into this about the life of Christ that is in you. It says, for what we preach is not ourselves. Let me just pause right there. Notice that what Paul's saying is, what I have to say and what I know is not mine. It's not mine. It's it's not something that I came up with. Let me show you that. He says, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And so who's the one? All his life is about is who? Jesus. So he says, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So what you have received in Jesus is a light in your life, but what it should reflect is Jesus, not you. That makes sense? Now watch verse seven. He says, but we have this treasure. We have this great treasure In jars of clay. We contain it all is what he's saying. It's all in us. But watch why. To show that this all surpassing power is from me. Is that what he says? It's from God. 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, Paul says, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know why? Because no matter what the pressure was from without, the pressure within was greater. The one that lives within them is greater. That's the one that lives in you. And so watch what he goes on to say in verse 10. We also carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. So let me just pause right there before I I dig into the rest of these verses here. I want you to consider that what Paul is expressing here is this. That the life that we live is Jesus. And what he's saying is day by day, no matter what's going on, here's what I keep at the forefront of my mind. That I died with Christ. And because I died with Christ, here's what I understand is meant to happen. I'm meant to express the fullness of God through my life. It's, it, it will flow out of my life. He says, we also carry around in our body the death of Jesus. We're reminded of that. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. Watch this. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Watch why. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Listen, the sooner we get it out of our heads, I'm living for God. Instead of letting God live through you. The sooner we get that point, the sooner we can accept that truth, the greater the experience of this new life that's ours in Christ will be. And so in Romans chapter 6, verses 2 through 5, Paul goes on to talk and he says, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? I want to point something out to you very quickly here. That while that is the Greek word baptizo, which talks about baptism, he's not referring to water baptism. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the union that we have with Christ. And because he died, we, were, we also died with him. Let me show you that from scripture. He says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk, watch this, in newness of life. So, literally what scripture is telling us here is, because he died, we died. But because he lives, we live. And the life that we now live, we live his life. And so we can live to the fullness of what God has for you and I. Verse 5 goes on to say, for if we have been united together, watch this, in the likeness of his death. So if you die just like he died in Christ, certainly we, will all, we, shall, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so what, notice that the scriptures say that we died to sin. And so sin is not what we do. Sin is what we were. Sin was a nature. Sin was an identity. Sin was a being. And according to scripture, that died when you accepted Christ. And because that died, here's what that equates to. Here's here's what that equation amounts to. You can live the life of Christ. By the way, please don't leave here saying, that pastor said that I'm the Christ. I did not say that. That's not what I said. There is one Lord, one Savior, and it's Jesus. 
But what I want you to realize is this, that as we look to Jesus, what we begin to see as new creations is who we really are. That's why the Bible says that as he is, so are we in this world. We should, when, when you look at Jesus walking in authority, when you look at Jesus completely in union with the Father, when you look at Jesus doing these amazing things, don't you know that that's your story? Amen. Jesus said, you're, you're going to do greater works than these. You'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You'll raise the dead. You're, I'm giving you my authority. Now you go and you teach people and you duplicate what I've put placed in you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are more than just a container these days. You are just like Jesus because you are one spirit with him, is what scripture says. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, it not only announced that he was alive, it announced you have his life. It's yours. It's yours. And you can walk in newness of life because you contain his likeness. Listen, the reason why as a child of God, we qualify for a new life in Christ. The reason why we can experience it. The reason why we can look at the promises of God and say, that's my promise and I believe it and I understand it and I'm going to walk in it and, and I'm claiming it and I'm declaring it. And this is where my faith is settled is because Jesus did it in you. It's done. It's done. It's because we are now in his likeness. Galatians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12. We'll start there and then we'll jump over to verse 15 and 16. Paul says this. He says, but I make known to you, brethren. By the way, do you know that he's talking to you there? Right? So he says, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So track with me here for a second. Here's what Paul's saying. Hey, everything that I have, all that my life is about, I didn't get it from people. I got it from Jesus. I got a revelation of who Jesus is and it transformed my life. Let me, let me show you that in verse 15. Watch what he says. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, watch why. Notice that he doesn't say to preach his son. He says to reveal his son in me. Whoa. Get this. Get this. The purpose for receiving the truth that the gospel reveals about Jesus is so that Jesus can be revealed in us. The purpose for receiving the truth that the gospel reveals about Jesus is so that Jesus can be revealed in us. Here's how the math adds up. You receive Jesus. You believe, you believe, you accept Jesus. It's now working in you. Your mind is beginning to become renewed. You're being transformed from the inside out. And all of a sudden, what people see is not Jose. Not Paul. Not Karen. Not Lewis. Not Debbie. No, none of that. What they see is Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. See, the gospel is not about self-improvement. I, I hope I'm not bursting anybody. Well, no, if I am bursting your bubble, I hope I am. But I, wanted, I just want to share this thought with you, that the Bible, the truth of what Christ has done is not for us to improve and become a better us. I'll prove that to you. Second Corinthians 5 says the old is gone. 
The new has come. It's not about you and where you've been. He's taking you out of that. The Bible says he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the, into the, into the kingdom of the son of his love. And so we, 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 our position has changed. Everything about us has changed. But the gospel isn't about self-improvement. It's not about character development. The gospel is about making peace, about God making peace with men and restoring his likeness and his life in us and others. If you look at Genesis in the beginning, it says that when God created men, he created them in his image and in his likeness. You know what he's saying there? Just like me. That's what God was saying. I made them just like me. And the moment that sin entered, we weren't like him. We became something we were never created to be. And so God saw it fit. He says, I have to do something about this. But I have to do it amongst them. And so he sends Jesus. And Jesus becomes like us so we could become like him. He dies the death that we were supposed to die so that we could live the life that he lives. And so we now have access to a new life in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 16 through 19 says this, it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So watch where God works so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. By the way, that word hearts there, it's alluding, it's not alluding to your physical heart and it's not talking about your spirit. It's talking about the place where you think, where you believe, where you rationalize where your understanding changes, where it's renewed. And so, listen, what God did in you is complete in Christ. You will never be more holy. You will never be more righteous. You will never be more accepted to God because it's based upon what Jesus did. But the thing about it is this. There is a place that Christ must dwell. And that's up to you and I. It's in our belief system. It's in our thinking. It's in how we see things. And so notice what it goes on to say in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Watch this. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You were not meant to be an empty container. You are meant to embrace and receive and pour out new life in Christ. Christ in you, living through you, working through you, changing all circumstances around you. Why? Because he's living in you. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 teaches us a few things. Teaches that the Lord strengthens believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. Many fall short of a new life in Christ because they're trying to live for God instead of letting God live through them. I'm going to say that again. Many people fall short because we're trying to live for God. When in reality, it should be Christ living through you, through us. That's a big difference. That's a game changer. And so we must learn according to the word, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to depend on the Holy Spirit for that strength. He's already empowered us. But in order to lean upon and learn from him, we must look, we must allow the word of God to have entrance into our lives because that's the language that he speaks. 
The strengthening of the Holy Spirit to live life in Christ does not occur in our spirit. He's done his job there. But it happens within our understanding. That makes sense? Look, I'm a Bible geek. And, and, and I could get very much into the, think of, the thick of things with this. But I literally want to just put it this way to you. Christ wants to make his home. That's what it's talking about. When it talks about that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Christ wants to make his home. He's made his home in your, in your being as a new creation. If you're a child of God. But Christ has to make his home in your understanding. In your understanding. And so for the next couple of minutes that we have here, I want to turn to a familiar passage of scripture for some of us. But I pray that all of us will hear it and receive it afresh, brand new. The Bible tells us of an encounter that Jesus had with a woman from a place called Samaria. Now, here's, the, here's what we need to know about this woman. This woman was an unlikely candidate to experience anything new in life from God. And yet, what, as we'll see, she exemplifies what happens when we embrace all that Jesus brings that's new for our lives. Let's read in our Bibles in John chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 3. And I'm going to read straight through 26. So it's quite a few verses. But I want you to just mentally envision what we're reading here. It says, He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, remember this phrase, will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up out into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. 
For you have had five husbands, and the one who you now have is not your husband. In that you have spoken truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes... He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Listen, this woman has a life-changing moment right at this point. She went from thirsting for water to thirsting for life in Christ. She desired something different, something uncommon, something unknown to her. Some important things for us to know about this, uh, about this woman up to this point, that she was a Samaritan woman, obviously. But by default, she was not someone, according to the times and the customs, that Jesus or Jews in general would associate with. It was due to differences in, um, in belief. It was due to some uh, idolatrous beliefs that the Samaritans had adopted. It was due to the fact that they were intermarried with Gentiles and they mixed uh, their belief and their culture. And it was also because she was a woman. We also have to note that she was alone. The fact that we find her at this well, according to scripture, at the sixth hour, which by the way is about noon, tells us something about her. It actually reveals something great. Uh, it's very telling about her life. Notice that the Bible says that she went at the sixth hour. The sixth hour is at noon. According to those times and because of the climate and everything, women went to draw water two times during the day. Early in the morning and in the evening. You know why? Because it was coolest. You know why else? Because it wasn't so hot that they couldn't talk and chatter and chit-chat and gossip. But my point is that that was the custom. It was more than just about drawing water. It was a social time of gathering in those days. And what we find is that she goes to draw water alone. Alone. She chooses solitude. She was thirsty. While she's evidently thirsty, what we see according to her encounter with Jesus is that she's thirsting for something more. We see that her understanding of God is not enough for her. And she's longing, she's looking forward to the coming Messiah. She's waiting for him to show up, not knowing that he's already there. And lastly, we have to note that she had a past. While we don't know anything about the circumstances with her previous five husbands, we know that none of those relationships lasted. And we know that the current relationship she's in is one where she's in error. Now, at face value, most church people of the day would have written her off. 
if you read the story at length, you'll see that even the disciples do the same thing. They write her off. They look down on Jesus for talking to her, but not Jesus. Notice in verse 4 of John chapter 4, it says that he needed to go through Samaria. Verse 3 tells us that he was on the way to Galilee, that he needed to go through Samaria. And we have to ask ourselves, why? See, despite her gender, the cultural and religious norms that dictated how Jesus should have had nothing to do with her, despite her past and her desire to go about life in a, in a life of solitude, Jesus had to go to this place to meet her and do something in her so that he could do something through her. If you look at John chapter 4, verses 10 through 15, and I don't have time to get into that, what we find is that she says, how are you, how are you going to get this living water that you're talking about? She says, you've got nothing to draw with. I've got my jar. Where's yours? I've got something to fill. Where's yours? And Jesus responds to her and says, so if you knew who's the one that's speaking to you, you would ask me for water. And the water that I give you is living water. Now I want to give you a picture of what living water is. Probably not there because we have some electrical devices there. <laughs> but living water isn't just water that comes to the brim. David, could you do me a favor? Could you bring me that picture? Thank you, sir. Living water is a water that does more than just go to the brim. Living water is water that continually overflows. And I want you to begin to see something about your life in Christ. That what you contain is so much greater than what you've known, where you've been, and what you've experienced. It's a new life. It's one that flows in you, fills you, but pours out of you continuously. And listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. According to the words of Jesus, it is a life. It is a water. It is an experience that continually goes on unto eternity. It just does not stop. Listen, despite her past, her thirst, her present situation, Jesus did not respond to her like many religious people of the day do, even today. He didn't focus the attention upon her past. Now, you might disagree and say, no, but he pointed out to her that she had five husbands. Listen, he used that as a tool to reveal to her who he was. But what he was pointing her to, we can't miss the point. Instead, what he was pointing her to, he pointed her to a new source of life. And the Bible tells us that at that very moment, the disciples show up. And they see Jesus, and they see this woman, and they see the, the, the Samaritan, and they're going, Oh no, this is a no-no. Jesus, you can't do that. Jesus, what are you doing talking to her? 
The Bible says that at that moment, the woman leaves. But here's what I love about what happens when she leaves. Not only does she leave from this encounter, she leaves her jar. You know why? Because she's no longer thirsting for just water. Now she's embraced, she's received a truth that has changed something in her. Let me show you what happens. The Bible says that she leaves and she goes to her town. And she begins to tell them about this encounter with Jesus. And I'm going to show you the power of it. In John chapter 4 verses 39 through 42. It says that many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him. In Jesus. Because of the woman's testimony. I need to point your attention to this. They believed. They believed. Listen. They didn't just say oh yeah that guy Jesus. No they believed in him is what the scripture says. They believed in the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him. Listen, these people who are accustomed and knew that the cultural norm and what was religiously incorrect. What what they knew they weren't supposed to do, they did anyway. They leave their town. They leave their place. They leave their understanding. And they go to Jesus. They come to him and then they urge him. They, they implore him, Jesus, stay with us. And the Bible says that Jesus stayed with them two more days. Verse 41. And because of his words, watch this. Many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer just believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Listen. They went from being empty. Destitute. Deceived. From buying into a mindset that says. This is the way. We put God in a box and we approach God. And we disagree with the Jews. And so we're over here and over there. In those days they referred to Samaritans as half breeds. They were looked down upon. And these people come to a Jew, but not because he was just any Jew. They cross every barrier and culturally correct barrier. They break all those rules and they come to Jesus and they believe. But you know how that happened? One woman opened up her heart and received living water. And while she's the one that went to Samaria, the message that went forth was Jesus. While they recognized her according to her outward appearance, there was something about her testimony and what she had to say that was different. Listen, they saw Jesus before they even stood before him. Ladies and gentlemen, your life, Christ is not a part of your life. Christ is your life.